Hey, take your Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. I'm hot. Acts chapter 5. We're only into chapter 5, and the New Testament church is exploding. Right? 3,000 here. 5,000 there. And the Lord, by the way, is adding to the church daily. And he's been adding to the church daily ever since Acts. It's a beautiful thought. And remember, though, the book started with 120 believers in a room waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit. And then it happens, right? Acts chapter 2. And the Spirit falls on them, and the Spirit empowers them, and they immediately start preaching about the crucified and resurrected Christ. And thousands would be saved. And miracles and wonders would be performed to affirm the message that the apostles were preaching, and thousands more would be saved. And tension was rising between the apostles and the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders, by the way, were only five chapters in. They've already arrested some of the apostles. They threatened the apostles, only to find the apostles released back with their brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for more boldness to keep preaching the name of Jesus. And the gospel spreads. And the church advances. And not even the death of Ananias and Sapphira last week could stop what God was up to with a brand new church. Chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 12. It says this, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. We keep seeing that Location, Solomon's colony seems to be ground zero for the church, for the early believers. This is where Peter would preach his sermon to the crowd after the healing of the lame man in chapter 3. By the way, commentaries suggest that this is the place Jesus was preaching when they tried to stone him and he escaped from the crowd. Now the believers are meeting here daily, preaching and performing miraculous signs. Verse 13 goes on to say this. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Now, that kind of makes sense. If you understand, remember chapter, what happened earlier in chapter 5, right? Um, if you could die from saying the wrong thing in the presence of the apostles, you probably are going to keep your distance from the apostles. No, thank you. I can hear you from here, okay? I know what you did to Ananias and Spira. I will listen from here. You just... Stay over there, right? It's probably not all of what was going on. You see, it says everybody held the apostles in high regard, but we've got to understand this. The tension, man, the political and the religious tension was rising. This might have been ground zero for the church, but it was ground zero for some major tension between the old and the new. And so we have the apostles and we have the temple officials and so maybe, maybe it's just wise if we keep our distance. We, we regard, we, we agree. In fact, you're going to see people are still coming to know Jesus through the message of Jesus. 
and they held the, the apostles in high regard, but, but it might be wise if we hold you in high regard from over here to keep us maybe a little safer from all of the tension. Yet, yet, verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. Wow, verse 15. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so Peter's shadow, just a shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Isn't that crazy? It's it crazier. Next verse. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem. So we're now not just in Jerusalem. Word is getting out about this man named Jesus that's being preached about. And they're hearing about the miraculous signs and wonders. So here they come from the villages. And it says they were bringing their sick. And they were bringing those possessed by evil spirits. And, and this is mind-boggling to me. And they were what? All healed. Apparently, everybody is bringing their sick mom or dad or sick son or daughter or their sick neighbor or friend just to get a glimpse, not even a glimpse, just to, just to be there when the shadow of Peter walks by. And apparently, everybody is being healed. Wow. Now, there's no details of these healings. We don't get any names. And I have a theory for that. Maybe it's because these miracles are not the point of the story. Maybe because these miracles, these healings, are just a means to the Messiah. Can I maybe make sense of it this way? The healing is not the point of the story because Everybody that's healed gets sick again and dies. Nobody's running around today still telling the story of how Peter healed them. Because they've all died. These miraculous healings are life-altering, no doubt. These stories of healing are amazing stories. But these healings are temporary. The bigger story is about the resurrected Christ who is offering something much bigger than temporary relief from earthly sickness. Jesus was the way to everlasting life, eternal healing. That is the point of the story. But again, the tension's rising. Verse 17, the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, and they were Sadducee because, right? They didn't believe in the resurrection, all right. They were filled with what? Well, of course they are. All right, put yourself in their shoes. They're no longer the, the go-to class at the temple. They keep setting out the chairs, but the crowd's going somewhere else. Of course they're getting jealous. They're getting angry. So they did the only logical thing that they knew to do. Verse 18. They arrested the apostles, and they put them in public jail. We don't know what to do. How are we going to get people to come back to our class? I don't know. Let's get rid of the apostles. Let's arrest them, because they had the authority to arrest them. 
And they had already threatened them. They had already warned them, right, to stop preaching in the name. But they kept preaching in the name. And everybody's now flocking to hear the sermon about the name. And they're jealous. So they have them arrested. Now, to be fair, the apostles had already been arrested and released from the threat to never speak the name of Jesus again. So come on, it's, it's pretty bold to keep preaching the name of Jesus in the presence of the authorities that have the authority to arrest you. They've warned you to stop. At least, come on apostles, at least pick a different location. All right, let's spend some time just going house to house. Why do you have to keep going back to the temple? It's not very smart, is it? But here they are back in jail. And then, this is just an amazing story. We should read our Bibles more. This is great stuff. Verse 19. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out, and told them, go to the temple and give the people, what? This message of life. This story is thick with irony. An angel, by the way, whom the Sadducees don't believe in, right? An angel shows up and he does a jailbreak with the apostles. Breaks them out of jail and he tells them to go right back to the temple and keep preaching the message of life. Um, so I'm just trying to imagine that dialogue for a moment. Maybe if we were in the apostles' shoes, right? Excuse me, angel, wouldn't it be safer for us to preach the message of life literally anywhere else? I mean, wouldn't it be easier? I mean, come on, angel, maybe we should just lay low for a few days before going back to the temple. That's what they said, verse 21. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told, and they immediately began teaching. Church, that is the response of a spirit-filled believer. Even when it doesn't make sense, they go because an angel of the Lord told them to go. Wow. You want us to go right back to the temple? All right, that's what we'll do. Right back to the temple we go. It will be our pleasure. And we will preach the message of life. He continues in verse 21, Luke does. And he says this, When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and they reported. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. Now this is a big deal. Because when prisoners go missing in this culture, soldiers die. They are ex executed. Big deal going on here. So we have the apostles already back at the temple, and here's the high council getting in, getting in their 
fancy seat, getting ready for a trial, go get the prisoners. And the prisoners not, are not even there. Verse 24. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed. And then this is amazing. They were perplexed, wondering, where did they go? Is that what it says? I find this fascinating. They were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Because they're probably starting to piece these puzzles together of their encounters with the apostles. They're not wondering where they are. They're wondering, how is this all going to end? God was doing something brand new. And these religious experts could not get their head around it. And they didn't understand it. Verse 25. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. Again, I know, they're not bright, but they're right back. I mean, they probably didn't even have to get that news. The high council would have probably said, you know what? They're in the temple. Go get them. <laughs> right? Let's continue reading. The captain went with his temple guards and they arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? I find it fascinating that through this passage of Scripture, didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded. They won't even mention his name. They won't even mention the name Jesus. Jesus is a polarizing name. You say the name of Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it ironic that believer or unbeliever is not afraid to say God? Believer, unbeliever. Talk about church. Jesus is different. Verse 29. I love this. Let me go back. Didn't we tell you not to teach in this name? Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. I won't say his name. But Peter and the apostles replied, <laughs> we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, last time, okay, remember the story? Last time Peter was before the high council, uh, something very similar, was, but he, he said it in a, like a question, in the form of a question. Should we obey God or should we obey you? I mean, that was rhetorical. I don't know if the high council knew that, but now Paul or Peter's going to make it very clear. No, this is no longer a question. Hear me. I know you're mad. I know you're mad, but listen. We can't obey you. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Say his name. Our allegiance is to Jesus. We obey him, not any other authority. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him 
by hanging him on a cross. Hey, hey, high council, you kind of are responsible. I know you just said you're kind of making it sound like we're responsible. You kind of are. You killed him. You hung him on a cross. Yeah, so bold. Verse 31. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious. And they decided to what? They decided to kill them. We marvel at the apostles' boldness here. Probably because we would not have let it got this far. <laughs> it's a little out of hand now. Okay? We've really upset the high council. And we probably could have compromised a few things and not been so vocal. And we could have probably have wiggled our way out of this thing. We, have, we would have shut this preaching gig down way before we're standing before the Sanhedrin with our lives hanging in the balance, right? But again, God interjects, this time not with an angel, but with one of their own members. Look at verse 34. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law, and he was respected by all the people, he stood up. And he ordered that all the, I'm sorry, he stood up and he ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. So there they are. The apostles just been sentenced to death. They're like, hold on. Would you guys step out for a minute? I need to talk to the council. Imagine their emotions, right? They, they don't know. Their life literally hangs in the balance. They have no idea what God is doing. So they're outside the room. And then, Gamaliel said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Thutis. Remember Thutis? Yeah, we all remember Thutis, who pretended to be someone great. And he had about 400 others join him. But he was killed. And all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. And not, not just through this, but do you remember this other time there was, this, there was this man by the name of Judas of Galilee? He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all of his followers were scattered. Hey, hey, fellow colleagues, here's my point. You cut the head off the snake, the snake dies. Come on, we, we killed through this, and nothing came of his revolt. We killed Judas of Galilee and his men scattered. Listen, listen. We killed Jesus. Let this thing run its course. Let it fizzle. That way we don't have to get our hands any dirtier than they already are. Verse 38. So my advice is, Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it's from God, 
if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. And today, you and I are in this room because this movement was unstoppable. You want to know why? Because the movement of God will not be overthrown. Will not be overthrown. Verse 40. The others accepted his device, or advice, not device. The others accepted his advice, and they called in the apostles, and they had them flogged. Now, the verse is not done, and our temptation is that we just keep reading. But let's not miss this moment, because for us, it's just a word. For the apostles, it's probably half a day of standing in line. In fact, none of us would probably even think much about flogging if it wasn't for the, the, uh, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And once we saw that and we understand the flogging had to do with a cat of nine tails and on the end of this whip there would be pieces of bone and rock and glass and the very purpose of flogging was as they whipped you those objects would, would dig into your, the skin of your side and your, even your stomach and back. And as they would pull it away it would rip away the flesh. So we just read a word but understand they're standing there hearing the screams of their closest friends as they're being beaten and puddles of blood collecting at the post that they're tied to. Can you imagine being Peter, hearing the screams of John, knowing you're next? The flogging would take hours. One after another would be tied to a pole and flogged beaten and for the rest of their lives anytime they changed their shirt or they went swimming or they went to take a bath they would be reminded by the scars on their back and on their sides they would be reminded of the flogging that they're receiving this day. For the rest of their lives, they would look at these scars and be reminded they were criminals for preaching the message of life. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and they had them flogged. And then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of of Jesus, and they let them go. And then, out of everything crazy that's happened in this story, shadows, healings, angels, jailbreaks, boldness in the face of the Sanhedrin, flogging, perhaps the most surprising verse is verse 41 the apostles left the high council rejoicing 
rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. When is the last time we rejoice because God counted us worthy to suffer the name of Jesus? We can't even, we can't even think like that because God's, God's too good to let us suffer, right? Is it even possible for the American church to dare use the words rejoice and suffering in the same sentence? And if that wasn't enough, maybe the most surprising out of all of these verses is verse 42. And every day in the temple, <laughs> from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. What happened to us? What went wrong? How, how did we get so far from this today? Is there even a proper response to, to this text other than repentance? God, how, how can you take anything that we say or do seriously? God, we are so soft. God, we are way too safe. God, we are we're broken. Please, 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 please make us bold again. God, your people empowered by your spirit, are unstoppable. But sometimes, most of the time, I feel, un I feel stoppable. I mean, everything's got to be just perfect, right, church? And if everything's not just perfect, we feel so stoppable. God, I feel so stoppable when my body doesn't work and it's starting to ache. I feel stoppable when my kids are on my last nerve or my marriage is fractured if, or if somebody hurts my feelings or my bank account is too low or it's raining or I'm overlooked for the promotion or I'm stuck in traffic or my candidate doesn't win or my team doesn't win or my car won't start or I get a cold or I get COVID or I get cancer or if the school shuts down or if my job shuts down or my friend hurts me or my house isn't clean or if the church isn't full, if it's too hot, if it's too cold. We're so stoppable. God, what happened to us? What happened to us? When did we lose boldness to preach and teach the name of Jesus everywhere to everyone? Can't do that anymore. We're afraid we're going to offend somebody. What happened to us? And God, is it too late for us? And if not, would you do it again? Whatever it takes from the top down, would you do it 
you give us boldness? God, would you make us so bold that when we suffer for the name of Jesus, that we rejoice that you counted us worthy? Not victims, complaining, but we rejoice because God counted us worthy. I know I'm probably out of time, but can I, can I give you four things real quick for, that I see from this story? That's going, it's four keys, if you will, that's going to help us be bold. Four keys, four key steps to boldness. Really quick, just number one, know your purpose. Know your purpose. Purpose to what? Life? Yes. Purpose for being here this morning? Yes. Purpose for going to work tomorrow? Yes. Purpose for the season of life I'm in? Yes. Because listen, life changes. Jobs change. Seasons come and go. But our purpose remains. Do you remember the purpose? Acts 1? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What did Jesus say to his disciples? But you will receive power. And after that, you will be witnesses. And he even gives the definition of what you will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the world and every week I keep seeing it chapter 2 verse 32 God raised Jesus from the dead and we are witnesses of this chapter 3 verse 15 you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Chapter 4, verse 20. We cannot, step, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Chapter 5, verse 32. We just read it a while ago. We are witnesses of these things. The apostles never forgot their purpose. It's on every page so far of Acts. To be witnesses, to tell people about Jesus everywhere they go. Have we forgotten our purpose, believer? In all of life, here or there, in every season, to tell people about Jesus. May we learn to live in our gospel identity, church. When was the last salvation we've experienced in our gathering? When's the last baptism? Have we forgotten? The second thing I see, not all of them are this long, but this one is. The second thing I see is we, got, we have to trust God's plan. To us, this story today that we read is marvelous. But to the apostles, it's a mystery. Because they're living it. They're in the middle of it. They didn't get some script ahead of time to let them know how this was all going to play out. You see, when they were condemned to death and then sent out of the room, they didn't know Gamaliel was going to talk his peers out of executing them. 
Every time they went back to the temple to preach the message of life, they didn't know if it was going to cost them their lives. They kept showing up, not because they understood God's plan, but because they trusted the God of the plan. They fully believed that God was sovereign. It's even in their praying. And that's just a fancy word for saying they really believed that God was all-powerful. He could do anything he wants to do. And they believed that God was in complete control. And if God wanted them in, wanted them in jail, there's a plan for that. And if God wants them out of jail, there's a plan for that. And if God wants them flogged, there's a plan for that. And if God wants them to live, there's a plan for that. And if God wants them to die, there's a plan for that. So they chose to trust the plan because they trusted that God's plan was perfect. He knows every hair, and nothing touches one of those hairs without God's permission. May we learn to trust God in the mystery whether the plan is good or bad in our eyes. May we rest in saying it's ultimately good because it's God's. And when we can't see, it's one of my favorite lyrics from a song my wife sung probably in the 90s. And when we can't see his plan, trust his heart. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's on it. Third thing, they get shorter. Third step is pray for boldness. <laughs> right? Pray for boldness. There is no doubt in my mind that the apostles' boldness in chapter 5 is connected to their prayer for boldness in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 29, here's their prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching the word don't ever preach in the name of jesus again now get out of here and they go and they go, god give us great boldness to preach louder and may we go further i know you keep sending us back to the temple but eventually <laughs> but whether it's the temple or the ends of the earth may we proclaim the name of jesus jesus is the messiah well, Pastor, I just don't feel very bold. Are you praying for boldness? Let's start there. Let's start there. Can we just confess today we're not very bold? And can we just say, here is part of the steps of repentance. Start praying for boldness. God, I don't know how you take me seriously. But God, I, I, want, you, I want you to do a work in me. And I want you to give me a boldness unlike any boldness boldness that I have ever seen. Not to offend people, not to become some crazy guy on Facebook that's the party pooper of everybody's post. No, no, no. We're talking about boldness to preach the name of Jesus. Not here. Everywhere. Every day, pray for God to give you greater boldness. And maybe someone here today or somebody that's going to listen to this online 
Maybe some of you need to invite the God of boldness into your lives for the very first time. It's kind of silly to be praying for God to give you boldness if you've not yet received Jesus. You can't speak boldly about the name of Jesus if you have not experienced Jesus. So I think it'd be silly for us to move on without saying, if, if that's the prayer you need to pray, good news. Today's your day. Ask God to forgive you of your great sins. And thank God for his son, the great Savior, who came and gave his life for your sins. So that we could be set free. Sons and daughters. The fourth thing is this. Advance God's kingdom. That's just a fancy word for what I really want to say, and that's this. Do something bold. Do something bold. If we are called to witness of Jesus everywhere, and we believe God's plan provides us opportunity to be bold, and if we're going to get on our knees and pray for God to give us great boldness, then at some point we've got to say amen, get off our knees, and go do something bold. That's how it works. We can sit here and pray for boldness all day long. But if we're not willing to walk out in boldness, the gospel did not spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth because the church gathered to sing songs about God's love and talk about ways or steps to be bold. The gospel exploded because the church scattered, and as they scattered, they proclaimed boldly the name of Jesus. In their community, in their home, in their neighborhood, in their cubicle, on the phone, through an email, boldly proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah. And here's my prayer for us, church. May we do the same. May we do the same. Remember your purpose. Trust this plan. Pray for boldness. Get up and go do something and you know what? Just four steps. But I'm convinced. If we would do that, we would start seeing salvations. And we wouldn't be able to keep up with the baptisms. We need to be bold. It's not too late. If I really did believe it was too late and God was done with us, I would have just said, let's go home. Hey, let's sleep in. It's Sunday. There's still hope. There's still time. God's not done with us yet. We still have a purpose. He still has a plan. We can pray and we can go. So let's do that.